and welcome to the edition podcast. I'm your host Charlotte Henry and this week I'm joined by returning guest James Ball. Hello James. Hi there. So James is a journalist, author, well-known troublemaker to various people. Um, so I'm delighted to have him back. We Last time we were discussing all sorts of lovely conspiracy theories and QAnon and all sorts of delightful things. Uh, we've got a slightly different vibe this week. So hopefully a little bit less depressing. A little bit less depressing, although Elon Musk is doing his best to drive us back into that world, isn't he? But we're not going to do it. We're not going to discuss Comet Ping Pong or anything else. We're going to discuss a couple of interesting things. Um, I guess we should start with Web Summit in Lisbon because you just got back from there and I was quite keen for to have your take on it because uh, there was a rather a lot of controversy to the in the build-up of it. Uh, CEO, then CEO Paddy Cos- Cosgrove, resigned. Um, there was a backlash for comments he made about uh, the Israel-Hamas war. He commented, war crimes are war crimes, even when committed by allies and should be called out for what they are. That was on October the 13th, so just a week after 1,200 Israelis had been brutally murdered and there were over 200 still stuck in Gaza as hostages. Now, you and I will be both very pleased that this show is not the forum to discuss the ongoing crisis in the Middle East. Um, But no surprise, and people can probably guess what I think about those comments anyway, but no surprise they didn't go down well with a whole host of other people either. Um, And we saw huge, huge tech companies pull out and we like we should emphasize web summit is basically the biggest european tech conference isn't it it's it, it's technically the biggest in the world now in right. terms of attendees and number of companies it, it's the largest tech conference globally so this is a huge huge event hosted in lisbon in lovely lisbon in portugal um people so we had amazon pulling out tiktok google intel stripe paddy cosgrove had to resign it was it was a huge huge controversy and going into web summit the sort of media narrative which obviously is one of the things we care about on this show was that it was all a bit tense all a bit troubled and not quite as things should be and i guess uh, there was web summit 2022 wasn't there they were back for 2022 it, it was yes but this is the kind of in my eyes the first full fat big return because you know 22 people still a bit unsure of things and this had all you know escalated and then you were texting me going oh no you wouldn't know anything would has happened and the new ceo is really good it it was quite strange i think um paddy had miscalculated i think i i'm not saying his views weren't sincere when he put them out you know maybe maybe they were maybe they weren't i'm sure he's reconsidered them he certainly had time um but he's known in sort of Irish media circles as a controversialist. He he likes to provoke. Um, he likes to provoke debate around Web Summit. You know, he tries yeah. bits of conflict casting. You know, last year he uh, he tried to get uh, the first lady of Ukraine uh, to speak at the summit, but also have people from the grey zone, which is yeah. a I I would say a disinformation peddling war crime denying outlet you know right. I, I wouldn't regard it as a legitimate media outlet um and the backlash there ended up in him having to disinvite the gray zone people um this time you know I th- I suspect he was trying to do his usual sort of be a bit be quite spicy sort of have a take and had really underestimated how much 
opinions on Israel Gaza, especially in October, would travel well beyond his usual sort of Irish social media bubble. Mm. And the big tech companies weren't going to take much of a chance on it. Um, where I think Web Summit got lucky is it's not really a consumer tech conference. It's by tech for tech. Yes, uh, it's not a sort of CES or look at the like new shiny things. It's not one of yeah it's not one of the things where the nerds turn up to see what the thing they're going to buy is it's it's very company focused and it's very startup focused very startup yeah, absolutely and so the startups once they've committed to going probably aren't going to pull out unless all of the vcs have and there were still quite a lot of vcs there and there were still quite a lot of countries that had committed to it so the uk mm -hmm. still had its stand there was a huge spain stand various other ones and so Do you it think was they a tech conference that? that was a lot more immune than most other ones. So mm. Google, Amazon, et cetera, pulling out, I'm sure will have hit their revenues. But actually, you know, the, the halls were still full. There were still 70,000 people there. It still felt very full on. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, as you say, the <clears> dynamic <throat> is often startups trying to meet people that are going to give them more money. Um, or um, people trying to meet people from the big tech companies and, as you point out, countries, um, you know, trying to bring in tech investment and tech companies to their countries. All very good. Um, I should actually say, in the interest of fairness, uh, Paddy Cosgrove did also refer to the Hamas attacks of October 7th as an act of monstrous evil. That's a direct quote as well. And did apologise for what he'd said. So we do need to give the full context there. there. But... It did cause a huge problem. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the Amazons, TikToks, Googles, etc. You know, when you're losing Amazon, Google and Intel, you've got a problem. It's, I mean, I think Paddy, let, let me not exaggerate his self-sacrifice because for reasons <laughs> I will get on to, but I think he realised that for as long as he was still CEO and chair, it was going to keep hemorrhaging. And I think once he'd left and there was someone quite credible to come in as an independent CEO in the form of Catherine Meyer, who was a uh, mm -hmm. former CEO of Wikimedia, chair of the Signal Foundation, which oversees Signal, you know, she is well-respected. She is a big beast. You know, it's not someone who Paddy is just going to pop it behind the scenes, really. No. Um, and she gave a very good opening address. She... Um, persuaded Jimmy Wales to sort of show his face on the opening night. So kind of managed to put the wheels back on the wagon. And I think there was a sense of if they had have had to cancel this year's event or this year's event had have been a disaster, it would probably have been over. Now that they've pulled it off and it all went down pretty well, you know, it felt like business as usual when you were down there. I suspect quite a few of the sort of quite, consumery sort of mainstream tech journalists there. In fact, I know for a fact they weren't aware of any of the drama behind the scenes. By stepping down, he managed to contain it. The the reason that, you know, he didn't sacrifice himself to save the company, I should stress, is he's still the controlling shareholder. Right. Um, so he he is still the main financial beneficiary of it continuing. And as the major shareholder, he still has you know, influence over what happens there and its ethos and all sorts, even if it's going to be less direct than before. Yeah, I mean, Web Summit is a huge brand as much as it is an event. 
um actually if you look at uh, the newsletter i put out the tuesday newsletter i put out this week i referred to some research or some comments a blog post they did on ai it's not just a you know it's not just a conference it's a brand and obviously the new ceo is responsible for the brand and seems to as you say put the wheels back on um i'm interested by your point about the sort of consumer tech press sort of moving on beyond uh the farrago do you think maybe the tech press missed a story i think they probably did to be honest um i think you know we forget I think there is a habit just to think about the companies that have IP or that have silicon as major companies, whereas Web Summit is clearly a very lucrative, very significant business. You know, it runs multiple conferences throughout the year. It's got deals with Qatar now. It's got uh, a long-running sort of high-level uh, com- conference in Canada called Collision. Mm. It's it's quite a significant company in the sector. It's where quite a lot of deals are made and so the fact that tech journalists didn't see covering what was happening at it as part of their beat I think is probably a bit of a sign of a institutional blind spot and uh, we're not necessarily short of those across yeah. the media but certainly in tech. And it's not, a, it's not a direct comparison but you know for sure every bit of mainstream tech media will be ploughing into CES in the not too distant future and covering every little bit from there whereas actually maybe what was going on here is arguably more significant this leads me to my follow-up question um uh, the tech press is often comes out of the u.s that's a fact the big tech websites are u.s based for obvious reasons silicon valley um and you know the big business media is often u.s based although obviously there's a huge say bloomberg there's a huge arm of bloomberg here in the uk whatever but I wonder if the fact this was in Europe is part of the reason you're, what you're describing happened. I, I suspect it was. I think probably continental Europe, those comments wouldn't have been seen as nearly as controversial as they were in the West Coast of the US. I think in the Irish context, his comments weren't particularly controversial either. Um, and I suspect it was that blindness to how things play in the states versus how they play elsewhere that caused it i mean again actually i do suspect if big tech was were based in the uk um paddy's comments wouldn't they might have caused a bit of a you know backlash but i don't think it would have led to that i think there is i'm also talking for people who don't understand the u.s political atmosphere in general i think Mm. there is a real lack of awareness of how different attitudes to Israel are over there. That, I mean, that's certainly true. I'm also wondering, though, do you think it would have been reported differently if this had been a US-based conference? Do you think it would have, as opposed to, you know, would it have escalated to the point where it had to be cancelled because of the level of coverage there would have been had it been based in the US because the tech crunches, the verges of this world are in the US. Yes, I suspect that's right. There are quite a lot of US journalists that do come over for Web Summit, but mm. I think anything that doesn't happen in America does pass a bit more below the radar. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it wasn't media pressure that caused Cosgrove no. to stand down. It was the pressure of the dropouts. And I don't think you would have had something with that many big tech 
companies dropping out without wall-to-wall crisis coverage and pressure on speakers to drop out. I mean, quite a few speakers did drop out. Yeah. But again, I suspect that blind spot to, I'd say Europe, but to anything outside of continental America um, probably did help save a conference. But on the other hand, it's probably good that the conference survived. I mean, that is my impression that it sort of, again, had it been not CES, that's a slightly, it's not quite the comparison, but another major, you know, recode, decode, another major, you know, I don't want to really name things because everyone, it's not really fair to put that on the people who organise these conferences, but, you know, an equivalent kind of conference, a major conference in the US, I think had this crisis started to brew, we would have started to see uh, real coverage on the like US Silicon Valley tech press, the kind of sites I've named, and it might have escalated a lot more to the point where things weren't viable. Whereas because, as you say, this was in continental Europe, it's slightly they went, oh, the Europeans are wrong about something because an Irish guy said something, and it sort of went along and they had to care because it was big American companies, but it sort of could pass without a major escalation. And also because, as you say, this very credible CEO came in pretty quickly and steadied the ship. And so the story sort of righted itself. It, it is it is a slightly uh, unnerving case for people from, you know, your vantage point of mind, Charlotte, in that uh, it's probably for the best that it didn't get more media attention than it did. As, uh, I mean, that know, may well I, be I right. find it a very useful event and a good forum. Yes. Um, and so... And it would have felt excessive to lose a whole sort of business and jobs, et cetera, over, you know, some very thoughtless comments from a founder. And that probably would have been what happened had it been higher yeah. temperature, which would have happened with more coverage. That, and so that, that is it's a little impression. tricky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you definitely you want someone who said something like that to take the personal hit as opposed to others being punished for as you put it the thoughtlessness yeah i mean roughly speaking the the system seems to work you know there have been some degree of personal consequences for paddy cosgrove um which feels appropriate to me you know we can argue whether they're the right degree or not but i think there should have been some repercussions sure, on him sure. and there have been um the event had to reform and to make some changes to sort of show where it was but managed to manage to run which is to the benefit of the startups who are exhibiting there yeah. etc um and it looks like it'll continue in future so you know occasionally it... occasionally cancel culture hits about the right level <laughs> yes <laughs> and, but, and perhaps the goldilocks zone yeah perhaps cancel culture work because there was a slight uh misstep in coverage it's a very interesting thought uh one thing that where there was no lack of coverage <laughs> I James, know what this is. <laughs> James has just started crying. Uh, was Sam Altman? It was just before Thanksgiving, wasn't it? When the whole of the tech press was sort of flying back to their families to try and eat some turkey and relax. And OpenAI completely, I don't know quite what the word is. I mean, self immolate, like self exploded. Yeah, absolutely imploded. I mean, yeah. It was absolutely bizarre to see. You'd but also, it was quite fun for us in the UK because we go to bed with one thing happening, 
California would have done something else by the morning <laughs> and like three other, there might have been two CEOs. So look, James and I are not going to recap what happened with OpenAI because I'm pretty sure everyone listening to the show knew about it. Uh, let's do, well, we'll do the 30 second roundup. Sam Altman was in, Sam Altman was out, Sam Altman was at Microsoft, Sam Altman's back in. Have I got it? Yeah. Uh, there, there was a little phase in between where everyone thought Sam was back in and then he wasn't back in. And then, then Microsoft happened. So it was even right. sillier than that summary suggested. Yeah, and so some of this was Ilya Sutskova, uh, the chief scientific officer, pushing the board to get rid of Sam Altman. He since apologised for doing that. We had basically the entirety of the OpenAI staff saying they would quit and go to Microsoft if Sam Altman didn't come back. Um, the Hard Fork podcast, which is a really good listen, uh, apparently learned that there was a party when Sam Alton came back in the open AI offices with fog machines and goodness knows what. So that gives an impression of what the staff think of their CEO. I'm not sure many bosses are getting parties these days and or getting people to go to the office, frankly. But um, <laughs> it's quite it was quite an extraordinary media spectacle to watch, wasn't it? It, it was genuinely amazing. And I think especially because bits of the media are very, very incestuous with certain bits of tech. And Sam Altman has long been a media darling. Surely uh, as not. As much as he is a tech darling. Um, to the point where, you know, I think with people like Kara Swisher, who is a very, very good tech journalist, but also a founder. Oh, just to be clear, you're not of... allowed to be rude about Kara Swisher on this show. <laughs> I wouldn't dream. I wouldn't dare be rude about well, Kara Swisher. Right. Um, but you know the closeness of her access isn't conventional journalism. It's something a little bit more like. I mean, it's almost like people talk about player coaches in sports. You know, she's she's in a bit of a hybrid role, and I think was influencing events as much as she was reporting them um which Ooh. i think was part of what made this quite an interesting one in that you know i think at one stage uh i think it was actually swisher who i mean let, let me stress she was well ahead on this story through all of it yeah um but um certainly on what was happening some of the whys and the wherefores i think was a more open field um yes. but um but, you know, she basically urged everyone to get it sorted before Thanksgiving, uh, which <laughs> Please, let us actually do... seems to, you know, which they did. So, you know, I don't know the degree to which uh, her exhaustion there, uh, but, you know, her, her sort of deadline helped focus minds. But I think it did, you know. And we've got a new board at Open Hour as well, which is a fascinating group of people to go through. Um, it's, uh, yes, all the women are gone. All uh, the and, women are gone, including the woman that was CEO for a day. Uh, she wasn't on the board and is still at the company. Um, so she, she was interim I mean, CEO for a day. Yeah, Mira Moratti, uh, who it should be noted was the number one signatory on the letter calling for Sam Altman to be reinstated. Nice. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, they had at one point three CEOs in three days, but um, mm -hmm. the the person who, you know, the, the interim has not been punished or kicked out. And oddly, Ilya is still on the board. He's well, he the gave, only original board member still there. He gave uh, quite a uh, groveling apology, didn't he? He he did. Both women who were on the board are gone. It's now three men, mm. one of whom is Larry Summers, who yes. I think can be charitably described as a bit of a dinosaur. Um, it's Former it's Treasury a, Secretary to you and I. It's a, it's a little bit of a, um, you know, 
a, a kick in the face as as boards go, and I think they know they'll have to fix it. But to be fair, the old board was. I mean, I think the reason they ended up doing this very strange reaction is that board had been deadlocked for months. Each time someone left, no one could replace them. They didn't have a unified vision of the company. They had, on paper, complete control of the company. You know, they they aren't accountable to investors in the way that usual boards are. Um, Altman didn't have an equity stake. This wasn't sort of... And so they had a very unusual position of having in fiat terms on you know on paper absolute power and then no agreement among themselves and no one who could clear that deadlock um there's one thing that i think people maybe didn't realize and not all the coverage of this bust up uh particularly explained which is that there's sort of two parts to open ai um the non-profit bit and the profit bit um, and this also was some of the source of the conflict, from what I can tell. Yes, this that's absolutely correct. And like um, that's a really interesting dynamic that I think probably we need more reporting and explanation of. I, I'm just trying to think of what I, I spent a lot of this weekend thinking. What would normal people make of this? A lot of people have heard of ChatGPT. Not even not nerds like us James some normal people have heard of chat GPT now and sort of get the idea you can ask it to do something and it will write your school essay for you kind of vibe um probably never knew who Sam Altman was but that doesn't matter and then there's this whole bust up and people are hearing scary things about open AI now there's all sorts of media stories about how it's coming for all our jobs and except going to take over the world and we're just going to be uh behoving to the robots and then you have this, right? I'm just trying to work out how this played sort of in the real world. Um, I think probably safely ignored by and large. Um, I suspect just, you're just, right. Just briefly, I, I would uh, I would urge any of your listeners who want a bit of an account of the not-for-profit versus for-profit mm-hmm. and the ins and outs. Uh, I did a fairly extensive post on this on uh, techtris.co.uk. Yeah, we'll put is, that. It was a good piece. Uh, we'll put it into the uh, show notes because people should read that. Um, because essentially a lot of what bothered the board and the not-for-profit bit is the idea of what they call uh, AGI or artificial general intelligence, Mm. which is pretty much sci-fi artificial intelligence. It's AI that is better than a human at anything a human can do. Um, And that would, by that stage, have to include creativity, et cetera, et cetera. That isn't remotely what any AI system that currently exists looks no. like. And so the ones that we're looking at, um, they are genuinely transformative technology. You know, this isn't the metaverse or crypto or no. this this will reshape society to an extent, um, but it's probably not going to do do it as fast or as thoroughly as some of the hype makes out, you know, I, I think I people people are much better to look at what ChatGPT can and can't do and worry about that than to listen to people like Elon saying, you know, in thirty years work will be optional or, you know, Skynet's coming. Yeah, but, I, I <laughs> suspect. You know. I suspect we're not going to be taken over by the Borg just yet, but I think. Yeah, I, look, I've written about this 
just the recent newsletter, I think, for example, that story about Sports Illustrated from Futurist that's been going around and is what I referenced in the newsletter, which showed, you know, really rather naff uh, content for on Sports Illustrated from basically fake writers from what anyone can tell, uh, which was then investigated by a real human journalist. I think that just about sums up where we are. I am absolutely convinced that things like ChatGPT and large language models more broadly are going to wipe out some basics of journalism, like the really boring stuff, um, you know, writing up close of day market data, wrapping up sports scores, et cetera. I'm pretty sure there'll be algorithms and LLMs that are going to wipe that out in the not too distant future. Uh, but when it comes to journalism, I've always been convinced that creativity and humanity is going to stick it out for quite a long time she says desperately and <laughs> but i i think it is i think if you if you had a job churning out low quality content then you need to be looking to get out of it but i'd imagine you were already looking to get out of it Maybe. so yeah. you know the, there are difficulties to it you know there's things like you learn how to write by writing a lot and you write a lot in early jobs by having to churn out quite a lot of very repetitive news stories and you could see a world where that tier of jobs sort of disappears. And so where are you meant to get good? Learn, yeah. you know, and that could actually end up affecting even further who can become a journalist, who yeah. can get the start. So within journalism... You can see it in the law as well, can't you? You know, the basic briefs that very junior lawyers might write for their bosses um, probably can now be, even now, be written mostly by an LLM that gets checked by a human. Um, but how does the junior learn? Yeah, there's there's all sorts of bits like that where you have to look at how would training work, how would skills work. But I think largely, actually, journalism as a creative profession, and especially one that where you have original reporting or original insight or experience to to draw to something, is actually probably one of the more protected professions. You know, similarly, high level illustration will still be quite protected Absolutely. but low level quick stock photo type stuff could really really be in Dismayed. trouble and so again you've got the the career path thing but where i think people aren't looking enough is things like call centers <laughs> and i don't think call center jobs will stop existing but i think there will be vastly fewer of them and something like two percent of the uk aren't working call centers <laughs> It's it's one lewd, you please that's off the top of my head, so don't take it as yeah, gospel, yeah. but it's a much higher figure than you would think. Interesting. And in the same way as at one point there were loads of those jobs and then they a lot of them were offshored, often to India. There's still a lot of them in India now. Um but then some places made a point of bringing them back to the UK and put it in their adverts, you yeah. know, UK call centre. There's actually a lot of them up in Yorkshire because people like Yorkshire <laughs> accents. It's trustworthy. Well, oh, that's why I have you on the show. Your nice, soft <laughs> Yorkshire the only credibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, no, the nice, soft Yorkshire um, But, you know, you're going to see, I think, a lot of call centre jobs replaced with yeah. chat GPT type things. But then you will see some companies make a point of, human. you know, speak to a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh Coming back to journalism, I've always thought, and it probably is a prize to other professions, that a lot of the um a lot of the AI tools will be just that. They'll be tools. So for example, those huge stories you did in your time at The Guardian, going through endless reams of data, 
there's no doubt that there will be AI tools that would have made your life easier doing that. But it still needed you as a human journalist to pick what was a story, use your instinct for that, to first of all get the data in the first place and convince a source to give you that stuff. Um, but then probably a tool could have made some of that work you had to do whilst locked in a room in the basement of The Guardian just a little bit easier. It's uh, a, a, a fun secret because I know they use a different room now. It was actually on the fourth floor. Oh, you, are, you got <laughs> to see daylight. Uh, well, now and then, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, they they cleverly figured that uh, the people who would have the least interest in trying to pry would be the commercial people who didn't give a stuff. So to keep it away from the newsroom, they they put it where no one from editorial ever went, uh, which was a great ruse. The real advance in tech, and I think the thing every journalist who's ever used it thanks thanks the, the world for every time is AI assisted transcription. Which Absolutely. is genuinely revelatory. Um, and also, you could never, ever rely on it. Um, you use you it can, for uh, a first version, but it absolutely mangles specialist vocab. It mangles all sorts of things. But the amount of time it saves, because you can then go and clean up the bits that you actually use, etc. Yep. It is a complete game changer um, and is very, very appreciated. Similarly, you know, Google Translate works in some ways quite similar to GPT type things, which will be even better at translation pretty soon. And those are game changers for how you work. Um, and so I think when you look at what an AI augmented investigative journalist could do in five years versus what they can do now, there's actually lots of reasons to be optimistic. I think that the sort of the skill set, the extra bit that makes it is the creativity in the writing and the creativity of what you can join up and knowing when you need the human sources to complement what you've got or the human relationships to get the data or to get into the partnership or to yep. do all of those bits. They're actually the sort of magic bit, you know, they're the sort of 20% of real value. And then the 80% is graft. And I think yeah. AI will replace a lot of the tasks in the 80%, which should be a net good. That That's my, at the moment, sitting here, positive take. Um, uh, that I think, yes, there's lots of other low grade stuff that might get wiped out. That may not be a bad thing for the media in general. Um but that is my take that we might actually move to a place where you get better stories and are facilitating better investigative stories more quickly. So another example I'm thinking of, ChatGPT could not do the Channel 4 dispatches into Russell Brand. It just couldn't, for example. Yeah, straightforwardly, it, it's not going to do that. <laughs> and, so... and, I think, and I think what happens in this discussion about AI is people forget that LLMs, and other algorithmic AI tools need human input first. They're not creating original knowledge. They are scraping knowledge in a really efficient way, in brackets, at the moment. It's, I mean, essentially the technology, and I, I don't know which of them came up with this, but a quite serious sort of uh, computer scientist professor says the best way to think of it is spicy autocomplete. Um, uh, well, I, not, I think we're there at the uh, yes, and we do have to keep saying anything beyond that, and it will get better at doing that. But we need actually a whole new technological breakthrough for it to become something more than that. 
which brings us back to what open AI are working on. In the way that I asked you, do you think the Web Summit story slightly got buried? Do you think we overdid this fracas about one CEO? I don't, because I think OpenAI are still substantially ahead of everyone else. Right. Um, I think GPT-4 mm-hmm. is well ahead of any published model. Um, and at the moment, actually, several of the rivals haven't even beaten GPT-3.5, mm. which is the sort of last version of it. And so they could be a very, very significant player in the future. They're, they are the, the lead company in the field that's probably got the most transformative potential of any current technology uh, in terms of reshaping society. And there will be winners, there will be losers, as always there are in that. And so I think the fact that it has a very, very strange governance model and a, you know, a CEO who is the face of this change, I think does matter. Um, and also, you know, I think readers often like a bit of human drama as much yeah, as uh, reporters do. So actually for this one, I think it probably got the amount of coverage it needed, even if as ever, there could always be more room to explain, so what, why does it matter, it, yeah. what next? Uh, the other fascinating thing I found out about this, first of all, I have to say, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall when Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, got the call explaining what had happened. I would <laughs> love to have been in that room. That must it's, have been incredible. It's where we're announcing in five minutes that we're sacking the CEO yeah, who, who you, you invested very deeply and have invested $10 billion in. Right, I'd have loved to be in that room. The other thing <laughs> that I think started to happen is I think this open AI story was the first story that really played out on threads as opposed to Twitter. Now, I will caveat that by saying a lot of the staff involved were posting their comments to Twitter, not threads. But I think in terms of the reporters and the updates, it was really the first story I started to follow on threads. So I'm I'm not on threads because I refuse to get an Instagram account. Boo. I suspect there's something to that, but there's a bit of a bifurcation. Um, UK journalists aren't moving to threads. They're moving to Blue Sky. Mm. Uh, and the US are moving to threads. And at the moment, neither camp really seems to want to move. Um, you know, anyone, the, the UK journalists I know that have tried threads find it really anodyne and it doesn't want to do news. And it's so it's not, not quite news. It's got better. After doing that. Um, and so essentially, you know, because Cara Swisher was ahead on the what, um, and enough VCs and people who were commenting are still tied to X, you know, X slash Twitter still worked perfectly fine. Yeah, although Cara Swisher was posting a lot on threads, and I did pick up on the story on threads. I have to say, I, you know, I've taken Twitter off my phone, as I said, and all sorts of times um and i don't really use twitter that much at all anymore and so i was following it on threads and it felt like quite a big breakthrough moment yeah um, and again you know i don't know i don't know why this is such a swisher heavy uh podcast but it is so uh, oh, oh, no I all mean, my me. <laughs> all my podcasts are truly inspired by cara swisher it's um but someone did try to go you know it's amazing watching x become the center of a big tech story and she did quite sharply correct them going actually she's using it a lot less there's more of it on threads Mm. it's just because of the people concerned she felt a need to cross post this one across both um and so 
I think I think there's something to be said for it's perhaps the first one that Threads kept up on uh, yeah. or sort of had a significant role in. But I think because of the characters concerned and where they post, I think it was just as much about Twitter and X. Well, maybe it was interesting to play out. But... Although I have I have a theory that's coming fairly soon that actually increasingly Reddit is the breaking news social network. Right. I'll see you in a couple of months to come back and discuss that. James, thank you. <laughs> James, thank you so much for being on the show again. It's great to have you tell people where they can get your book, keep up with your work and so on. So, well, the most recent book is The Other Pandemic, How QAnon Contaminated the World at All Good Booksellers. On social, I am at JamesRBUK on most but not all platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry or at Shia Henry on pretty much all platforms. Um, and, of course, I'd love you to head over to theedition.net, check out the blog there, sign up for the newsletter there. We've got all sorts of stuff coming before the end of the year. And, of course, I will love you particularly if you take out a paid uh, subscription. James, great having you on the show again, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.